This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. Okay, I am here with Robert Bain. My name is Eric Stone, and this is the inaugural episode of the Strength and Anger podcast. We attempted this about a week ago, and unfortunately, we got about an hour in and realized we had lost about an hour of recording. We did not hit our opening attempt. So we don't want to bomb, so hopefully today works. (laughs) Today, we're mainly going to go through kind of Bane and I's history in the sport of powerlifting. Um... And then from there, we'll just talk a little bit about what our future plans are for the show. Um, I I dropped this a little bit in the preview episode, but I'll go over very briefly what the origin of strength and anger is. So, and I have to, Jackie listened to it and corrected the story a little bit. So it started with a a fight that she and I had, uh, my wife, Jackie, fellow powerlifter, uh, and I think I went into whatever the argument was. Was it a fight? Like a full-on fight or like a kerfuffle? It was beyond a kerfuffle, but below like a, you know, a full fight. Like okay. it was definitely an argument. Okay. Um, and she was mad that I was just so like calm throughout the fight. I think because I'm not as emotional as she is, um, which is not a very high bar for me. Uh, <laughs> and she said, don't you feel anything? And my response was, well, all I feel is strength and anger. (laughs) It's so, so amazing. That's such a great story. So fast forward maybe, uh, I don't know, not even that far, less than a year, I was on one of my very few drunken adventures at a, a lake house of a buddy of mine. And when I was drunk and flipped a couch, broke an end table, um, I called my wife and yelled into the phone, strength and anger, much to the laughter of all my buddies who were there with me. Now, had you shared the story with them when uh, you did this, or did you just do this at random? Uh, they had heard the story. Yeah. Okay. They, they liked it. Okay. So that's so where no, strength no, and anger comes from. No just, self-hater or drunk. Yeah, it doesn't happen particularly often. It does not. Um, I don't know that I want to get totally drunk like that again, pass out, puke, flip Ooh. tables, yeah. or flip... Flip couches, break tables. Um, yeah, I tend to be an angry drunk. Which get, get drunk with me one because if you get angry with me, what's going to happen? And then I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a fun drunk. You been, you well, you've seen me drunk plenty of times. Have you been drunk or just slightly buzzed? Have you, I don't know. <laughs> you just see me drink a whole lot. Uh, yes. <laughs> so let's start off with the Bane story. How yeah. did Bane get started with lifting? Um, Let's start with kind of how you got involved in sports and then how that transitioned into powerlifting. Sure. So I'll, I'll do my best to kind of run on the same track we did with the inaugural episode. I don't know how much of my story got into it, but, uh, you know, I... Was, All I posted was the story of strength and anger. So. Oh, beautiful. Perfect. So so no one's heard this yet, uh, unless you listen to me on other things. So my parents basically told me, like, we don't care what you do as long as it's legal and as long as you put your heart into it. Uh, and this was at a very young age, they told uh, me and my sisters this. And I, I chose soccer just because it was fun. 
Uh, it was really interesting to me that this was a game that was played around the world, but for some reason was not played here uh, as much. And so it just fascinated me. And uh, had a really good coach, uh, you know, played a really big part of my life. And so I played soccer all, all through growing up, moved to Iowa. And uh, the weird thing about Iowa, other than even fewer people played soccer than in Northern Virginia where I was born, uh, is everyone looked like me. And it, it was very odd. Uh, a lot of white people in Iowa. So... Nice thing, though, again, there I was a big fish in a small pond. I continued playing soccer. I uh, played all through high school, played in college, had some opportunities to play after that. Uh, and then I moved to Chicago, and I'd always been lifting. I'd always been kind of trained to be stronger as a, as a player. Um, rewind just a little bit. When I was in college, I got hurt. And long story short, they told me, if you had some meat on your bones, you uh, probably wouldn't have gotten injured. You just had a little stinger. You'd be fine. Uh, I was about 145, 150 pounds when I graduated high school. For reference, how tall are you? Uh, I'm five foot eight. Okay, so you were freaking skinny. Uh, yes, uh, and well, for those who have seen me, my legs definitely have some uh, decent mass to them. They, well, while not as big, similar in proportion to what they are now. Uh, when I was that weight, and also again for reference, I'm now five foot eight and two hundred sixty pounds. So gained a little weight since then. <clears throat> so the buffet and the weight room were very good to me. Uh, moved to Chicago, the Chicagoland area, and I got hurt playing soccer in my early 30s and decided to kind of go back to square one and kind of build everything back up. I was doing powerlifting movements um, at a YMCA in Des Plaines and basically this creepy Russian dude uh, who I say that very affectionately because I love Greg. He is awesome. He's an amazing human being. Uh, Greg sees me lifting and tweaks a couple things. It was really odd because he was staring at me in the mirror. He wasn't actually staring at me. This is very strange. And tweaks a couple things with my footwork, uh, shows me how to uh, keep my back tight, throws another plate on each side. I think I was squatting like 405. So I have never taken that much weight, uh, you know, uh, back squat before. Um, and was actually moving it faster than the, uh, the sets I was doing before. Because again, just a couple little things that he tweaks. So, okay, I'm intrigued. You know what you're doing. So um, I'll follow you. He pushed, pushed, pushed for me to do a powerlifting meet. And so spring of uh, 2014, uh, Illinois State meet, I did my very first powerlifting meet. Is this the guy that wears the shirt that says Deadlift Academy on it? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, okay. I've yes. seen him. Is there an actual Deadlift Academy or is that just the t-shirt? Uh, so that's him. Okay. So he is the Deadlift Academy. He is. He is. Greg is uh, the Deadlift Academy. And, and again, I, I am incredibly thankful for Greg. I always joke about the creepy Russian dude whenever I tell the story of how I got in this sport. Uh, I, I am... Very, very thankful for his friendship and for his uh, his early mentorship. Um, he changed the trajectory of my, uh, honestly, a lot of things I do in my spare time in my life because he uh, basically said, hey, you could be strong if you didn't you know, have your head up your ass. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. Uh, so that, that, that was just a really cool turning point. The next year, I planned on doing the state meet again, and a friend of mine from, uh, from Iowa uh, who I... Didn't realize I'd also got into powerlifting, completely separate from me. Uh, was coming back from an injury and said, hey, I'm coming out to do this meet in Iowa. You should come with me. Turns out it was the same meet. So meet up with him, and that's when I'm introduced to kind of a wider community here uh, within powerlifting. So I met uh, at Fattest Illinois Lifter, Barzine Vaziri. Met a bunch of other folks. Barzine just made an impression on me because the man could eat, and I was just I was in awe of the, how much this man could eat. Uh, and again, just... It, the community and the the intensity of everything that was going on, and I, and I mentioned this the last time we talked to it, uh, you know, the very first meeting we went to, 
we saw some dude's face explode everywhere. It was incredible, uh, you know, doing a squat. And I was like, I, I don't know why I like this, but I really do. And so I decided to kind of pour everything into it. And during that time, I was working up in uh, Waukegan, very north side, you know, north suburbs of uh, Chicago. And I started looking around for something that was going to make me a little stronger. The, the YMCA just wasn't going to do it for me. And turns out the Master Garage gym uh, was based about five minutes from my office. So I walked in July of 2015. I met uh, Eric Morosier and basically told him, say, hey, I, I want to do this. I think I'm pretty strong. I think, uh, you know, I could benefit from being here. And that was when they were in uh, version 3.0. Uh, I know you have some history with the Morosier powerlifting team, and so you can probably talk about that a little bit. Uh, and they were getting ready to move into their current facility, which we affectionately call 4.0. Right. Monster Garage, which actually literally started in his literal garage of yes. his house mm-hmm. and then went from that to like a 1,500 square foot warehouse space something like that um and then 3.0 was what maybe six thousand square feet no not even that like four four and now it's what about ten uh it's about if you count the balcony that we've built it's about seven seven and a half okay and this is monster garage gym which is in waukegan illinois correct at one point i think was in gurney it was yes i think he lives in gurney waukegan gurney very close to each other yep yeah waukegan gurney libertyville that whole area is all all pretty tightly packed in uh so so Started going there, and uh, since then I've been able to compete all over the country, all over the world. Uh, just been sorry for the random text messages. Apparently, I've I've been receiving. Uh, I don't know how to separate my text message from my computer. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how it got connected in the first place. It's your your Apple login. I understand. I just don't know why I'm getting notifications on my computer for my phone. Uh-huh. Someone smart at it's the cloud. No yeah. one understands the cloud. Yeah, I don't understand the cloud. Someone at me, uh, at 2XL Powerlifting, let me know how to turn that off. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> your lack of knowledge of technology cracks me up. But you literally set this whole thing up, so I can't really say anything. So, uh, Yeah, so I, I started competing in this, and I've been able to meet tremendous friends, gone, seen unbelievable places. Uh, I, I've, again, been all over the country, all over the world to, to do this weird sport where we basically work out in front of people. So let's go back a little bit to your first meet. Yeah, um, Again, as we talked about this the other day, I said, you know, it's been a while since I did my first meet, and I've mm-hmm. been to so many meets and ran so many meets now, not to put myself over, but it, it is hard to put myself back in that mindset of, you know, how how it was walking into first meet. Sure. Plus, when I did my first meet, I was a high schooler. So it, it's a kind of a different context when you're 17, I think I was, versus... Yeah. 30, whatever you were. Yeah, I was like 31. Actually, the day after 32. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, what I just, again, I was just very shocked by just how intense it was. I saw the different teams around the Monster Garage had a, a big uh, group there. Uh, a lot of the CrossFit boxes had a, a large number of people there, and you continue to see that in a lot of meets uh, where they come out and kind of show out. And I, I loved everything about it. And then I saw the individuals that were kind of around by themselves, and yet I saw people cheering on their opponents. As I kind of understood how the weight classes were in the divisions, it blew my mind that I saw because in playing soccer, I would never do that. You know, not until either we were out of the same divisions or, you know, guys that I played against, you know, either I moved on to college or they did. As long as we would never play against each other, then yeah, we were friends. But anytime we would play against each other, then of course you're you're not. And so it was very intriguing to me that this truly was a, a community versus just a competition. Yeah, I do think that is something that attracted me in my first meet, even as a high schooler, um, and I think is unique to powerlifting, um, maybe unique to strength sports in general. I don't have as much experience with 
uh, Olympic lifting or strongman. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the case in bodybuilding. No, it, no, we've it, seen we've seen Kai and Phil. It might be some. It might be in some of those other sports, but I think that is something unique in the overall perspective to powerlifting. Is that yeah, there is a a feeling of like you said, community and camaraderie that I I personally had never gotten in a sport other than on a football team. But that was you know only within that team. It certainly wasn't with you know other teams. No, no, no. Well, I, and I think it comes down to your. In theory, your opponent is is common. It is the iron, it is the weight, it is your opponent versus the actual person. Even though yes, you're counted in the in the standings uh, against somebody else, but the at the end of the day, we're all against the same thing, and that's the iron and gravity. Right. You're not pushing physically against the bar, right? With your opponent, it's you versus the weight. Right. Right. And so, but again, that that was awesome to me. And uh, you know, those state meets, they they were you know held at a, a you know pretty big gym uh, out there in Sycamore, and and the turnout was great. And so there's a lot of people that were watching and so it was a great, great atmosphere. And so I, I, that just struck me as something that that's, that's what I've missed since I left college sports. Right. Uh, we're talking about the 2014 APF Illinois state meet. I'm guessing 180 lifters over two days, two Roughly. platforms. Yep. Um, so, I mean, for a new lifter, and that's actually why here at 2XL powerlifting, we've started doing some of these like beginners meets, because I think some of even the local meets, like the state meet, have gotten so big that it can become, you know, it's a double-edged sword because it can be cool to see it, mm-hmm. but it also, I think, to some lifters can be intimidating, especially if you don't know what to look for yeah. or where to go kind of thing. And, I, and I've, you know, to, to toot my own horn, I've always been a, a person with a fair amount of confidence and having played in very large venues, you know, previously played soccer and, and uh, whatnot, it that was not particularly intimidating. That was very exciting to me. But yeah, I totally agree. I know I've watched, having watched my daughter compete at the Illinois State Meet this year, I understand how intimidating that can be when you've got a room full of people uh, and some pretty big weights going on around you. And it, it, it's a very potentially scary thing. Sure. It's like, I have you ever seen the movie uh, Hoosiers? Yeah. Where uh, the coach takes him in and he measures the the distance from the, the hoop to the free throw line and from mm-hmm. the floor to the hoop and says, Hey, it's still a 10 foot hoop. Yep. Even though we're in this giant stadium yep. with seats, you know, going on seemingly for days compared to their tiny little Indiana, you know, gymnasium. Yep. Yep. And, and yeah, so it's, it, but again, it, back to, to my, you know, taking all that information as I was watching it all and seeing everything goes on when you got two platforms going on, you've got people constantly moving. We had, uh, you know, Raw equipped lifters, we had male, female, and everything going on uh, during those couple of days. So it's just, it's a lot to take in. Again, it was just so exciting. It was so cool to see. So we talked before. You said that one of the things you saw was a dude squatting a thousand. Mm-hmm. I think we postulated that might have been Corey Akers. Yep. Because it wasn't Barzine. No, it's not. It wasn't Sean Coplin. No. There's not that many thousand pound squatters in the 2010s in, in Illinois and Chicago. Yeah, I, I my gut tells me it was Corey. Right. So I, I have not reached out and confirmed, but my, my gut tells me. It was and you said his face exploded? Yep. So here's a sidebar story here. I'm judging at a meet in Iowa. Um, yeah. When it was run APF, Bill Carpenter meet, um, I was head judge, and Corey Akers was squatting, probably over 1,000. And Strong dude, by the way, if you don't know. Super strong dude. Um, I think more or less kind of retired from competitive lifting now, but... Maybe not. Oh, okay. Hearing some rumblings. Oh, okay. Well, you know, a lot of people say they're retired and make comebacks. Yep. So he misses a squat, leans back into the rack, and the entire monolift 
starts to lean forward. This monolith was on a stage. At that time, Bill Carpenter used to run his meets where the actual platform itself was on a stage, almost like a, a concert stage. Yeah, yeah. And I'm head judge, and all I can think about is this freaking monolith's going to tip over into the audience almost. Yeah. And so I run in to grab him to stabilize him so he's not tipping into the monolith. Uh, he, of course, had a bloody nose, stand, <laughs> standard, and bled all over my khaki pants I was wearing. Um, luckily, Bill, Bill Carpenter's wife had a Tide pen, which was surprisingly powerful and took all the blood out of my khaki pants. That's amazing. Um, but Corey joked that I would fail my next drug test. Yeah, after, not natty anymore. After having that blood all over me. <laughs> that's, that's actually really funny. So um, let's go back to kind of that uh, environment you talked about. Mm -hmm. um, you've got the environment of the meat, and yep. then at some point you decided, hey, I want to take this environment and transfer it to what I do, not just at a meat, but in training. Yep. And so describe what the difference was between training on your own versus then starting training with the Mrocher team and at Monster Garage. Sure. So training on my own, you know, I, I and when you train the commercial team, you're not, you're rarely by yourself. There's usually some folks around and, yeah, you know, you've known me for a few years. I'm generally a pretty friendly guy and, and especially in the gym, I'll talk to people. And uh, my, my issue was this, is that I, I like to get better and I understand that it's going to take people critiquing me to get better. And where I was lacking at a commercial gym is no one was either willing to or able to. Greg was the first one and the only one. And really, I got about an hour uh, a week with him when he was at the Y. I was not willing to travel around and, and see him. And honestly, I didn't have time to, uh, to go around to wherever the deadlift academy was going to be at. So I was training on my own. I was looking at you know YouTube videos. But again, it's all me. And... My issue was like there are plenty of days where I get back from, uh, you know, work and I'm tired and I, I, I'm just not feeling it. And I needed an environment that I could come into and that I just, it, it helped me switch it on. Same thing happened when I was in college, you know, you, college sports almost becomes a job, right? And because you're... I mean, I did football for a couple of years, Division three, and that's only Division three, and I didn't... I mean, it is like you're during, at least during the season, it's like your whole life. Right. And, and so it was just, I, I, but I had an environment where I went to where I had guys that pushed me super hard because they were good. And, and so I wanted to get to an environment like that. And, and I knew that's what I, uh, I needed. So I started looking around and the very first thing that popped up on Google was the monster garage. And I recognized that how close it was to where I was at. I was like, this, this looks cool. And so I reached out to Eric, and when I walked into the gym, it was one of those, like, you, you, it's very tough to articulate, but just the intensity of that environment. Um, if any of you listening have ever uh, been around Steve Brock, that man is just, he's a volcano. And, and in an exciting way, not a bad way. Like he, he just brings this intensity everywhere he goes. And, and I, just, I just watched the training session the first time I went, and I watched him. And I said that this is what I want. I, I fell in love with, with that group immediately, even though they were, they were all equipped guys. They were not guys I would necessarily be um, competing against or, or with. Or, uh, I was like, this is the environment I want to be in, where every day almost felt like competition day. Yeah, and I do think people that have only trained on their own, and when I say on their own, like, sure, when you're in a commercial gym, there are other people there, but you're not training with them. No. Um, and even when you're training here at 2XL or Monster Garage, even if you're not training with a group, if there's other people working out, it's a more 
communal environment versus mm-hmm. Export LA Fitness YMCA. Like right. everyone's got their head, earbuds in, their headphones on. No one's really talking to each other except for, you know, I remember back in the day of the commercial gym I used to work out at, the old dude that was trying to sell everybody life insurance. Yes. Yes. That was pretty much the extent of communication between people. And it is definitely a different environment when you're in a small community of like-minded people that are all yes training for something more specific than just, quote, get in shape. Yeah, because I, I don't know how many times I've heard the phrase, oh, I could never do that, or... Uh, gosh, just looking at that makes my back hurt. Slap you when I hear that. And, and whereas I, I come to a place like the Monster Garage or 2XL or, or you know a lot of these other gyms that I've now been introduced to around the the suburbs, and it was not only you can do it, we can do it. There's more in you when you don't realize it yet. And, and it was it was exciting to be around that. That uh, everybody in the groups wanted to see people reach their maximum potential. Yeah, no doubt. It's a different environment. I was exposed. We'll talk about my story in a little bit, but I was exposed to it through the Franz team and then tried to replicate that here at 2XL. But it, yeah. it's definitely different than, you know, kind of trying on your own. That doesn't mean you can't make gains on your own. Oh, but, yeah. um, I know some pretty here dude that did it for a while. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so why don't you run through your best lifts um, yeah. and then uh, talk a little bit about RAW, <laughs> all caps, RAW, 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 RAW. raw. Versus equipped and what lifting you've chosen to do over the past few years. Sure. Uh, so, so for context, you can go on openpowerlifting.org. You can see my very first meet. I totaled 1,300 pounds. Very excited about that. Uh, since then, um, best total I've had in a meet was the 2018 uh, AAPF Nationals, a 1741 total. Uh, I did total my best uh, deadlift at that meet, was 705. Uh, at this re- most recent AWPC Worlds in Orlando, Florida, which I was joined by my esteemed co-host for that, uh, squatted 694 and change, uh, bench 385, and I pulled 650 for a 1731 total. So um, probably one of my best meets ever, even though I didn't get everything I wanted out of that one. Um, but yeah, it's a great squat, great uh, great bench day. So This was at what weight class? Uh, 275. Okay. And you waited. Big boys. And you weighed in at about what, 260? 261, yeah. So you didn't do a big cut or anything. It was no, just... I ain't about that life anymore. And you, this has all been raw. Raw, yes. Naked knee, no sleeves, no wraps. Uh, and, I, and I take a lot of pride in that. Uh, I, I know we've talked about this before. That, uh, And I, I take nothing away from those who use that equipment. And so I'll get into to raw versus equipped here in a second. But I take great pride in knowing that I can squat almost 700 pounds uh, in competition. So I am judged and found worthy. Um, with no knee supports. I think it's pretty cool. Just a belt. Yeah, just a belt. And, and obviously, you know, all the, the multi-flies under my single that no one can see. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we have seen that at meets. Uh, yeah, we have. Even most recently. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a, a bloopers show at some point when we talk about all the crazy stuff we've seen at meets. Uh, I'll have to write down some of the stories of things I've seen at meets through the years. Just a, a jug of quote-unquote water. That's what it is. Oh, God. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Yes, yes. That video is still floating out there somewhere. Uh, so what uh, What are your future plans for lifting? Um, sure. You've talked about what you've done recently at mm-hmm. AWPC Worlds. Yep. What's the plan for maybe short-term, next year, mm-hmm. 18 months, and then long-term? Um, the long-term plan is always just don't die. So that, that's kind of the, the baseline. Is every, every meet, every transition, just don't die. Uh, and I, I say that half-jokingly because... At the end of the day, like that is kind of what we're doing is you're cheating death. 
you know, but the weights that we talk about, I mean, I know you talk about some of your best lifts, uh, that weight should kill somebody if it falls on them. And so I, I was one of the things that does excite me about the sport. So short term, you know, again, short term, long term, don't die. Uh, 29 or 2020, I should say, gosh, we're already at the end of 2019, uh, plan is to do AAPF nationals at least one more time. Uh, that's in Louisiana, I believe this year. Uh, Correct. then uh, I was informed during AWPC worlds this year that I will be competing next year in Ireland, by my, my lovely wife, uh, as it is our 15 year anniversary. So we'll be combining our, uh, our celebration with, uh, with that means so that's kind of the short term, long term. Can you have your wife talk to my wife about that combining a powerlifting meet with a vacation is not that bad of an idea? I'm telling you, man, it was a wonderful idea in Orlando. And so, Jackie, if you're listening to this, the Baines had a great time. We took the kids to Universal. We hung out with some of the British team. We ate a lot of food. I, I can give you guys all the different other pointers. I won't get into all my secrets right. when it comes to travel, but... You're, you're taking all your expenses and you're combining them together. Because exactly. you're going you're gonna to have to fly there anyway. Exactly. We, we stayed in Orlando for 10 days, including the meet. And the first half of it was very relaxed. It was just us getting ready for the meet. We did the meet. My oldest daughter competed. And then we did, we did universal for four days, uh, which was incredible. We were able to ride everything. The kids had a blast. And then we spent just one day at the resort, not doing thing, a thing. I went and got the margarita buckets. I just kept them coming. And I had a nice little, uh, white mark on my stomach where I had set them. And we're just sitting in my <laughs> poolside uh, and basically using my, my power belly as my wife did when she was pregnant, when she would eat cereal. And it was great. It was a wonderful vacation. And then we, we headed home and, and then, you know, two weeks later, my wife and I went to Las Vegas, Vegas it up uh, for the Olympia. We'll get into that story at some point, but no, it, it really was awesome to, to be able to do that and to have my kids experience uh, the meat itself, to watch their sibling, to watch their dad. Uh, and then to watch my daughter see Hogwarts for the first time was just every penny I spent on that trip was worth that. So talk a little bit about you did. You said you had your oldest daughter. Yes. Your oldest daughter competed at, uh, she did her first meet. What about a year ago? A little over that? No, it was, it was the only state meet. The only state meet this year. Yes. Okay. So it was just this year. Yep. And then did AAPF nationals and AWPC worlds. Correct. How did, how was that for as a as a parent to have your your daughter do you know kind of get involved in your hobby? And for reference, she is thirteen, she's correct? 13, yep, turns fourteen and, in about ten weeks. And she's a competitive gymnast. Yep. Additionally, uh, state state champion gymnast, uh, very talented. Actually, had a long conversation about that with her today. So that's kind of how she's you know using her time and everything. Uh, it was one of those things I'm always very proud of my children. They, they amaze me. They are, they are just, they're wonderful, small people. And yes, there's a ton of pride that came through when Lily said, I want to do this. I was always about her being around the environment because she gets to, you know, you go to the monster garage and she gets to see, you know, yes, every day she gets to see her mother who is incredible. My wife is, is an amazing human and a, and a phenomenal woman. And when it comes to athletics, you know, Nick has a very different view of fitness than I do, and that's not bad. It's just different. Lily gets to see people at the top of their game. She see Crystal Tate, who's going to go down as one of the best to ever do it. You know, I don't know if she'll go down as the greatest, but she'll go down as one of the best. Bianca Hernandez, an incredibly underrated lifter that I think people will know for a long time. And people like that, and, and she gets to see them, and, and, you know, 
talk to them and interact with them. That's incredibly important and influential for an athlete and, and a human to see those things and, and kind of pick up some of their traits as far as work ethic and, uh, and thought process on being a champion. So you didn't say to her, hey, I think you should power lift. It was, she approached you. Actually, it's your fault. Oh, yeah? Yes. We were at the women's empower meet, so it's partially Jackie's fault, too. Oh, okay. And we were talking. She, I don't know if you remember this. She asked you what was the youngest that people could compete, and you told her 13. <laughs> and so I don't know if you remember that moment or not. but I don't remember it. Uh, yeah, so Lily actually, uh, immediately her face lights up. She says, I want to do it. We waited a few weeks and talked it over with my wife. The reality was that Lily had a good chance to uh, to go compete at, at you know, in some cool environments and just kind of get that experience with everything being here domestic. And we said, yeah, let's go for it. We ran through the budget, it made sense. And we did that. And so watching my daughter take her first squat at the Illinois state meet was one of the most nerve wracking things <laughs> I've ever been with. I would put it up there with getting the phone call that my wife was going to labor with our, with our oldest because I was just so terrified. Not that she wasn't prepared, but just, what was going to happen? So, I, so you, you know, we walked up the platform. It was just, I was as nervous as she was. I mean, if you've never, for lifters out there, if you've never coached anybody, especially like a significant other, I know I've never, other than the little autism meets, I've never coached my uh, kids. But man, I am way more nervous when Jackie lifts than when I lift by far. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And because you're helpless, you can't do anything about it when they're up there. You can. Yell at them. You can hope that your coaching did what it's supposed to, but at the end of the day, they're up there on their own. Correct. And and that was, you know, I told her that. I said, I will be right next to the platform, and the platform is yours. Like, that is your stage, and, you know, just go go do what you do. And and it's so cool once she, you know, she got that first squat, and it was, hey, you're in the meet. Like, you're in now. And fast forward to her last deadlift, and, and she had a huge pull. I mean, she, she had a two times weight, body weight uh, deadlifts at a 198 and and it moved so fast off the floor you see people were actually like open mouth you know watching her on on the video and i i, I kind of lost my mind when, <laughs> when she was doing she got the down command from the the head judge and you know three whites and it, it was just such a cool experience and then fast forward you know a few weeks later to the to aapf nationals and getting to share the platform with my child was just I really find it tough to describe it because the the pride and the excitement to be able to do that. And, you know, we're on spring break, right? And like when, when you go back to school, you're going to talk to your friends. Like, oh, what'd you do? Oh, I went here or I did this or we didn't do anything. We stayed at home and it was cool. What'd you do? I wouldn't want a national title. I, I just like that's. And I got to compete with my dad. Yeah. And then, you know, and I qualified for Team USA with my dad. That's just not something other people get to do, and so just to have that very unique life experience with her was just so cool. And then yeah, to uh, again share the platform with her at, at Worlds and uh, have her come home with some hardware. I mean, that was just it, it was again, it's tough to describe. Uh, Nerve wracking, yes, but then the excitement and the elation is just so cool. And she'd had some experience competing. It wasn't like she'd never been mm -hmm. quote on stage before. She'd competed in gymnastics. Yep. Yep, and so she is, you know, dealt with that, dealt with judging. She understands all that. Uh, but then, it, it, you know, you get to a world meet, and it is a little different. You hear the accents, the different languages. You know, we've traveled, obviously. We're down in Florida, so we're not close to home. You didn't sleep in your own bed. It's just different. 
Yeah, for those lifters who've only done local meets, it is, and I'll talk about my first experience with that in a little bit, but it is different. You know, going on an airplane, being not at your home gym or even your home state or your home city, Mm -hmm. and having different people there, and like you said, not sleeping in your own bed, it's a different environment than when you're just doing a local meet, you know, that you can drive to and from the same day. Yep. And so... Yeah, it's just really cool experience and, and excited for, you know, her baby sister wants to do it too. And so there's a, you know, chance you may see three veins on a platform here soon. Oh, so, can we handle that? I, I don't know, man. Because, uh, again, my daughters have my personality. They're very intense. Uh, so it could be interesting. So that's kind of the long term. You know, at some point I, I will hang the, the belt up and, and I'll just kind of coach the kids. Because uh, I, I do want to give back to the sport because it's given me a lot. And But that's kind of the long term. Um other things long term, maybe there's a couple extra layers going on me. We'll see. Well, we can say for sure, but we can only hope. Yeah, you never know. Okay, so uh, maybe you just run through how many kids you have and their ages, so we get a little frame of reference on Lily who competed. Yeah, sure, sure. So there's literally a, just like a like a gaggle of fans <laughs> that shows up at meets. There is a lot of us, man. We roll deep. Uh, so so my wife and I met 17 years ago. Five months later, we were pregnant, and so our oldest he actually turned 16 on Sunday. Uh, which is, yeah. Uh, oh God, I'm feeling nervous for you. It's not even my child. But here's, the, here's the, you guys have all met Austin. He's like the most laid back, chill kid. He's just, he's on his phone. He's good to go. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I actually got very excited to, uh, to meet and to get to know Eric was through the autism meets because my oldest is on the spectrum. And I thought this is such a super cool thing to, to be a part of and to raise money for him. Uh, so he turns 16 here soon. Lily is 13. He turns 14 in November. Uh, our youngest son, Nolan, is 11. Uh, he is a trip. He's in sixth grade. And he's something else. Uh, and then my, my baby girl, Ella, she's, uh, she's nine. She is a unicorn. She is a phenomenal young woman. And uh, she's the youngest of four. She has to fight for everything, and so you can't say anything to her. <laughs> she's, she's very intense. And so that's, uh, that is the, the tribe of Banes. Um, and what do you do outside of... Uh... This environment of powerlifting at your normal everyday activities? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I work in logistics. I've been doing that for know, about 12 years now. Uh, working up the people management side for quite a while. I'm a director of operations for a brokerage uh, out in Naperville. Um, I've worked at some pretty cool places, a little startup company called Uber at one point. Uh, like I said, I worked up at Waukegan at a contract packaging and manufacturing and, uh, group. When do those stock options become available? Oh, that's November 6th, sir. Oh, <laughs> Exactly November 6th, of course. Yes, yes. Not that I'm counting down or anything. 10 or 6 a.m. Um, that's when it all transferred over. Full, fully vested. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see, man. It's, uh, it'll be interesting to watch how that all goes on. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of me in a nutshell, kind of where I came from, how I, you know, have come up in my short time in the sport, and uh, kind of all the fun stuff I think I get to now turn the tables on you. Okay. Unless, unless you have more questions for me. No, I think I, we've talked. We've talked for thirty minutes about Bane. I think so. That's yeah. It's you know. probably everybody's feel at this point. So I'll, I'll start with uh, kind of when I got started in the sport. Um, rewind all the way to the year two thousand. Well, well, before you get into that, so pr- prior to getting to powerlifting, what was your athletic background? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I started playing soccer. Actually, you and I, same parallel there. Uh, up through middle school only, though, I played soccer. And then I just preferred football as a sport. I mean, I liked playing soccer. Whatever. I was probably a better soccer player, but I just <laughs> like football. My buddies all played football, so I decided, well, I'll just play football and I'll use my soccer skills there and become a soccer-style kicker. Yep. 
followed my brother's footsteps. The, who the had, superior style, by the way. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's man, it's funny. I used to go to these kicking camps back in the day, which mm-hmm. is a whole nother story. Oh it's a, man, it's a whole weird environment. You know, you're gone for three days. Kickers in general are kind of like kickers and punters are different. They're weird. It's a different. It's a different breed of football player. They're like totally on their own. Yep. And so imagine like twenty of them all together staying in a college. And we had a few of the toe hackers that had yes. that had the like the shoe with the rectangle on front of it. No kidding. Really? Yep. Wow. The old school toe hackers. There was about in every given given kicking camp, there'd be one or two. I, I legit thought that when I saw people have that, I did not realize it was a insert for the shoe. I thought they were missing part of their foot. <laughs> I, I legit, like they're a club foot. Yes, I legit thought that. I saw. Some NFL guy who kicked, I think he actually held the, the record for longest field goal, a 63-yarder. Now, I think he actually did have a club he, foot. He did, but I saw other people with that insert. I'm like, oh, so they, so you can't be a good kicker if you don't have half a foot? Like, how does that work? <laughs> so, yeah, I got into football, um, and football led me to lifting. And it was very short after the time that I started in football and lifting that I decided I liked lifting better than football. Hmm. Now, I continued to play football because, you know, I liked football even though at West Aurora we were very bad back in those days. My junior, senior, we went two and seven. Ouch. Um, my former teammate, though, Nate Eimer, shout out to him. He'll probably never listen to this podcast, but doing very well as the head coach um, at West Aurora now. They actually made the playoffs the last couple of years. Nice. Uh, but that's kind of what got me the lifting. And then from there, you know, on this crazy thing called the internet – I found out about powerlifting. The interwebs, you say. So back in the old days, the interwebs, there was no face face pages or <laughs> Insta chats um, or tweeters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Take tweet. There was these old school pin pin board message boards or bulletin message boards. But not Pinterest, folks. There was no Pinterest, no. definitely. So there was an old message board that was very popular in powerlifting called GoHeavy.com. And that was like the place for powerlifting shit talking before people would get in arguments on Facebook, like comment sections or Instagram comment sections. I love when people do that. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it really, a lot gets done, I think. So this is the early days of keyboard warring. I mean, it was basically the same. It was just on a message board. There's nothing's changed, although people could post anonymously. I should say not anonymously with a, with a handle. Mm. Um, there was no verification of your name. And I think it was on there, another message board where I asked like, is there any powerlifting in Chicago? I live in Aurora, which is where I grew up. Right. Um, about 45 minutes to an hour West of Chicago. Um, and it just so happened that Ernie Franz, founder of the APF, had his gym, Franz Gym. He's got a pretty cool nickname, too. Right down in uh, downtown Aurora, the godfather of powerlifting, Ernie Franz. Yeah. And so it just was coincidental that Franz Gym happened to be in my hometown, and I never knew it. So I went down there to Franz Gym, and I think my mom and I both went and chatted with Ernie and maybe Aww. Amy Jackson. Yeah, you know, a little scared stoner. Um <laughs> Only, you know, what's funny is that, you know, I played soccer, I played football up through college. I was never Eric. No one ever called me Eric. Mm-hmm. It was always stone or stoner or stoned. Um, Other than, well, when I'm in trouble. Uh, yeah. I, once people know my last name, it a month, maybe. 
It's funny, in high school, I was either Ken Stone's brother or Stone, or maybe both. Oh, yeah, high school, I was always, always Bane. But even now, like, as a professional, like, I, I'm an executive at the company I work for. Almost everyone refers to me as Bane. So, got into, got into powerlifting after talking to Ernie and Amy Jackson at Franz Gym, and the Illinois State Meet in the year 2000 was right there on the third floor of Franz Gym. Franz Gym at that point was a former furniture store, three-story building, hmm. and he held the meets at that time on the third floor, and you almost felt like the floor was going to break when you put the deadlift down. So I've heard. It kind of reverberated. Um, floor two was where he had, like, literally, like, go back to pumping iron. Yes. Uh, old school chrome machines that had probably been there forever, but were totally usable. Oh, I thought it was just Arnold smoke of weed down there. No, there's no weed. I don't, <laughs> that might've been in the basement with the, uh, the homeless dudes that lived in the random oh, rooms. Glorious. Um, no, the second floor was all, you know, chrome machines. First floor was his store. So like, you know, any kind of random powerlifting gear you could imagine for some reason, even though he made all his gear custom, he had like stock sizes sitting everywhere the same things would be sitting on like, you know, sitting on the, on the hangers for like years. Hmm. Um, and so Amy Jackson said, well, you need a suit, you need a suit. And in those days there was no raw. This is our next episode. There was no raw. It was just equipped. If you how, how did you live? Yeah. If you power lifted, you just put on a squat suit or, I mean, you could have bought a singlet. Yeah. People mostly just use that for bench mm-hmm. over the bench shirt in those days. So she gave me a double ply poly suit because Ernie said, well, you know, we could put you in a canvas suit, but, you know, you got to at least go 100 pounds over your Mac before you can break parallel. And I said, whoa, whoa, you know, Ernie, let's pump the brakes there. (laughs) Um, Let's start with maybe something just a step below that. Sure. Got a double ply poly suit. Amy said was loose. Took me 45 minutes to get into. And then I went home and I tried it again with help from my brother, my dad, my mom. Also took me 45 minutes and we were all just sweating balls. Jesus. So I was like, wow, this is powerlifting. Yeah. Um, but I did my first meet, and like you, the environment is what really, you know, enticed me. Um, everybody was very supportive. Mara Sternberg, uh, God rest her soul, was the announcer. Um, she had like a literal like 1970s mic, or maybe even like a kind of mic that you saw Elvis like pull down from the ceiling. Yes. Like the silver mic with all the horizontal lines on it. And she was yelling... Um, in later years, she yelled at my brother-in-law because he was reading a book between lifts and told him that this was not a library. <laughs> uh, but she had Mario, uh, Mario Mendez, former Franz lifter, wrap my knees for my second squat. Cause I had some really cheesy Velcro knee wraps that I was wrapped myself like eight lifters out. And she said, why do you have your knees wrapped already? She mm-hmm. pulled over Mario, typical Franz, like, Hey, so you see somebody who needs help and you just. Go ahead and offer help from yeah. someone on their team. It's yep. the same thing we do here with Team Stone. Wrap same, the same thing with Oscar Rush. Wrap the shit out of my knees. I'd actually missed my first squat, uh, fell backwards, came back, got out of my second. I think with a wrap from Mario, and it was from that day on that I was just hooked mm-hmm. and thought I love this environment. Um, my parents came and watched not the whole day because powerlifting meets are long, yeah, especially the the pre computer scoring days. And my mom just thought, like, what kind of crazy sport have you got into? And she, <laughs> she came in when uh, during bench, and dudes were walking around in canvas bench shirts. And she's like, why are all these dudes walking around like zombies with their arms hanging out in front of them in these white, tight shirts? Yep. 
I loved it. And I didn't honestly think there was anything off. Like I never thought like, why aren't we doing this raw? I just thought, Oh, this is powerlifting. This is what you do. Yeah. Um, bought a squat suit. And then later, I think my third meet bought a denim bench shirt. Yes. Back in the day, denim was the preferred material for bench shirts. Mm. Um, that's a whole nother story. Canadian tuxedo. That's the whole <laughs> that's a whole other story. We'll go into the the Inzer and Ernie Franz oh, uh, lawsuits and how that involves the IPF. Um, that will be a whole that'll be a whole show we could go through. So my first kind of big meet was mm-hmm. then I traveled to the 2002 AAPF Nationals in Pensacola, Florida. Nice. And as we talked about, that was a which is a terrible town. Yeah, I mean, I liked the meet. Um, yeah, I've been to Pensacola. It's a terrible town. <laughs> it was on the beach, so there, that was the, that was the positive. The meat itself was on the beach. Well, the hotel was near the beach. I oh, guess. Okay. Right. That's, that's fairish. But like you said, you know, kind of traveling to a meet was a whole different environment. I did the O2 Nationals, and then I did the O2 AWPC Worlds in Georgia. Here's a whole other story. LB Baker ran that meet, and then later went off to break off the APF WPC, and for a time somehow claimed he had control of the APF and WPC. He actually had uh, AmericanPowerliftingFederation.com registered and World Powerlifting... No, I think that's all he had. He just had that. Mm -hmm. I don't think he had WorldPowerliftingCongress.com because we had that still back then. Um, But he claimed to have control of the APF somehow. Um, Whole other story for another day. He and his cohort started the World Powerlifting Committee. Not to be confused with the World Powerlifting Congress, but... Just happens to have the same initials as WPC. Not confusing at all. This is WPC. Right. Um, sidebar there. But <laughs> Eric do that a lot, actually. That's okay. I, I got a lot of sidebars. I love it. So it was around that time I was still playing football and, and powerlifting, and it was in 04 that it was kind of apparent that my football career was kind of coming to an end, and I just... The Bears weren't calling? Yeah, definitely not, although... I, I, they were desperate for a kicker, man. I'm just saying. Now they're not, but they were... Uh, you know, my brother went down, my brother was thinking about going downtown and trying the kicker challenge. I, I was too, actually. In his day, my brother and I probably, my and Ken Stone more than I probably could have made that, but he went out and kicked like the day or two before and was like, eh, I just don't have the accuracy anymore. I think he said he had the distance, but the time he probably hadn't kicked a football in 15 years plus. Okay. That's fair. And I also heard the people down there in that challenge, like it was on like super slick surface. Yeah, it was it was not ideal. So I don't know that he would have made it even if he had been on on his game. But he considered it. He and I both former former college kickers. But uh, you know, I was actually invited to a meet at the Olympic Training Center. Um, first meet I bombed out of. Nice. That was uh, non-optimal. That was an 03. Uh, that was with AAU, and it was Ricky Del Crane's father god rest his soul who gave basically everybody red lights on depth nice i got a white light from the other side and the head judge but got a red light on every lift from that and i think my yeah all three of my squats uh i got a no i'm sorry i bombed so i got a i got a white light from steve dennison current uspa president mm-hmm. i got red lights from the head judge as well as ricky dale crane's dad so the, the the head judge red lighted me in all three of my squats, despite getting a white light from the side. Hmm. Um, and I was done with AAU powerlifting after that. Yeah, I think they've kind of gone into obscurity, anyways. Yeah, I don't think I ever hear anything about them anymore. Yeah, they were they were decently big for a little bit there. Yeah. Um, 
And where it kind of takes a turn is around that time, you know, on the internet, it was always, hey, like if you want to, if you want to be a part of powerlifting, and I had, I'll back up. Um, after I quit football, like you, I decided that I wanted that team environment was mm-hmm. missing, you know, and I missed, I didn't really miss football, uh, but I did miss hanging out with a team and I missed having other people around and I wanted to trade with other people like you. I wanted someone to critique me. I wanted a coach. I wanted, you know, people to go to meets with. And so I, like you, started with the Mercer powerlifting team back at around, it was 03, 04. I'm not hundred percent sure when. I asked you if you had a kid. <laughs> you know, around that time, Marosha was still at Richie's High School, where I met my wife at the Marosha Powerlifting Team. Yeah, heard that story. It's a great one. Um, actually, Marosha suggested that I ask Jackie out. Yes, yes I love this so much. <laughs> uh, and it was around that time that Marosha was moving from Rich East up to Libertyville High School, where he currently is an assistant principal, and then later started Monster Garage out of his garage. Mm -hmm. At that time, he had a little setup in the Rich East weight room. He had a monolift, competition bench, um, powder-coated plates. Mm -hmm. So here's an interesting sidebar about Marosher. We had to to always lift with the same weights. Yeah. So the same weights were the squat, uh, the monolift, and the bench were right next to each other. But the deadlift platform was on the other side of the gym. And so they would literally carry the plates from over by the benches over to the deadlift platform so that they could use those those same plates. Hmm. And then Jackie and our former training partner, Shara, used to load up the deadlift bar with all the plates and then roll it across the gym <laughs> to the deadlift platform yes. so they didn't so they didn't have to uh, carry them all over. Find a better way. Right. So I started training with the Marosha team. Unfortunately, that was around the time he was starting to disband and move up north. Yeah. And it kind of turned out that we kind of had our own little pod of myself, my future wife, Jackie, and another woman who trained with us, Shara, who is super strong. I, I certainly wish she would have kept in the sport. Her name is still on the board. Yeah, she's, she squatted over 400 at 148 mm-hmm. and had handled 500 in training. Had, had she gotten through it and between the years, she had the strength for 500. And this was geared because that's all there was back then, but... At 148, and I think even as a master at that point, um, she was in her early 40s. But we started training still at Rich East, but on Saturdays, or yeah, it was Saturdays. We didn't have anybody to squat with. It was just the three of us. And you could bench with three. You could deadlift with three. It's hard to squat with three. Yep. So we started training at the Franz team on Saturdays and you know, becoming a part of that team. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think, when, when, man, A, my lift shot up unbelievably. I went from a 500 squatter to a close to 700 squatter in a couple of years. Um, And that is when I started getting more involved in the sport. Um, You know, again, online it was always, hey, if you want to be a part of powerlifting, you should give back to the sport. And I I took that to heart. Um, I think I told the story the last time we talked, how I drove out to Iowa for a tiny little meet that Marosher lifted in. It was on the second floor of a gym. Mm -hmm. Um, Keith Early, former Marosher member, lifted, who's like 6'5", and squatted with a slight tilt to one side. Mm. And there's a famous, well, in our community, picture of me spotting him on the side of the squat, my hands up, and it's on his high side. So it's like... For reference, how tall are you? I'm 5'5". Five, five. And now it, was at, <laughs> it was at that point, and I think I barely got paid 40 bucks, which probably didn't cover my gas money. I'm not complaining because I volunteered. Right. And I often volunteered at that time to go and help at meets because mm. I just wanted to get experience... 
going to meets and helping, and I just wanted to be a part of it. Um, one of our training partners at Franz, Tanya Bruton, also worked out up at a powerhouse gym in Waukegan. And the owner there, I didn't know at the time, he had hosted a couple meets before. Mm-hmm. And Tanya was kind of talking to him about where she was training now on the weekends. And he had said, hey, you know, are those guys ever interested in running a meet? And she came to me with it because we were buddies and trained together. And I said, well, I'll talk to Ernie. Because at that time, I'd gotten kind of close to Ernie and Maris had started to help out at meets. I'd become a referee. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I refereed first about an 03 um, and continued to referee at meets uh, throughout. And I went to Ernie and he was plausibly in his early 70s at that point, maybe in his late 60s. Somewhere he's, there, yeah. He's 80, 85 now, and this was back 03. So if somebody wants to do the math, yeah, maybe late 60s. Yeah. And I said, hey, Ernie, this gym up in Waukegan wants to run a meet. Knowing what I know now, if somebody came to me with a similar offer, I'd say, you know, probably not interested in running a small little meet at a small little gym. Actually, the gym wasn't that small, but it was going to be a small so meet. probably what Ernie was thinking. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. And so Ernie says to me, well, I'm, I don't want to run it. Why don't you run it? And maybe kind of said that offhanded, not even thinking I would do it. But I said, well, if Ernie thinks I can do it, now, whether he thought I could or and not. And the heavens opened and champagne rained down and Eric Stone became a meat director. Yeah, I'm not sure it was quite <laughs> like that. Um, but I said, okay, I'll take it on. Um, I went and met with the, the owner. Um, I took Maris Sternberg with me and because she knew more about running meets than I did. So powerlifting mom, basically. Yes, powerlifting mom came with me. So <laughs> first time I go to Franz Gym, I bring my mom. First time I go to run a meet, I bring powerlifting mom. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. Love it. I made probably one of the worst deals you could make financially. I told the, the gym owner, hey, we'll split the profits, mm-hmm. my profits, mm-hmm. and he takes the door. So he gets half my profits and the door, and he just has to provide chairs and spotters. Um. At some point, and this was probably like if I if this hadn't been renegotiated, the meet probably would not have gone, and I may not have continued to run meets. Mm-hmm. At some point, I check in with him and I say, "Hey, how's your planning going? Do you have five guys to spot for me? We have some big lifters going to do this meet. A bunch of the Franz lifters had decided to do it as like a training day. Yeah. Noel Lavario, Jason Patrick, who ended up squatting a thousand three at two forty two. Um, and a number of other Franz lifters were there. It was about a 45 lifter meet. This would have been in late June 2004, the first ever Summer Bash. So this is where the Summer Bash started. Yes. And he said, well, I'm having trouble finding some spotters. Why don't you do the spotters? And, mm-hmm. you know, and I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll do the spotters and I'll take, you can take 20% of my profits. Okay. Again, still not a great financial deal no. considering he gets the door, but it was the deal I made. And so I honored it. Good lesson to learn. Yeah, definitely taught me for future meets. <laughs> and you know, the meets, I wasn't say, it wasn't great, but I learned a lot, and I think it went well enough that it was I could continue. And Ernie and Maris both encouraged me. Hey, you you did a good job. Yeah. Even from that point, I didn't know everything, but I I think I I knew what I didn't know, okay. and I was willing to learn, and I was willing to ask questions. So I think. When people talk about what does a meet director do, it's basically an organizer. It's yeah. it's organizing people. The day of the event, I, I try not to schedule myself to do anything, kind of like a manager would at an office. You're not necessarily doing all the all the work. You're nope. overseeing the work. You're making well, trust sure. me. Ask my people. They'll tell you I don't do any of the work. <laughs> <laughs> you're making sure the work gets done, and you're managing people. Yep. And that's essentially what a meet director does. 
in addition to just organizing tons of little things and logistics. Herding cats. Right. Uh, I remember borrowing Marocher's bench, which at that time I think was still at Rich East. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd moved it into the garage. Um, he hadn't formed the garage yet. Yeah. And so I think maybe I put that in my parents' van. I'm, I don't know if I like kept it in their van or something. <laughs> I went down to the basement of friends. Jim had Tex, Ernie's old worker, mm-hmm. who was, you know, partially handicapped. Um, now was in a wheelchair. And I don't say that with any disdain, but he was even at that time. And took about an hour and a half to show myself and my friend Todd Sharbert how to take apart the monolift. Oh, put the monolift on, you know, a 1930s uh, furniture lift elevator that he still used. Jeez. And... Did you have to go hand over hand to pull it up and back down, or almost? And my friend Todd and I drove that up in his truck and set it up. And he was there with me the next day because he had come later to help take it down and get it out of there. And he said, "Wow, the thing we put together has a thousand pounds on it." He's like, "That's kind of scary." A little bit. A little um, bit. No, he's gone on to have a successful career in construction, so it's not as though he didn't know what he was doing, putting things away or putting things together. Excuse me. Um, but that was the start where I started running meets. Um, I was always interested in lifting. And so I decided to major in exercise science and physical education mm-hmm. in college and become a strength coach. Um, that's maybe a story for another podcast, but, yeah. uh, from there, uh, I worked at a couple places, velocity sports, right fit velocity was like a sports performance training place. Um, gosh, that was such a great facility, 20,000 square feet. We had, 30 yards of turf. We had a basketball, volleyball court. We had a batting cage. We had a 50 yard track. It was an unbelievable venue for all the things. It was an unbelievable venue for running events. Um, and we ran the second summer bash there, which was when the meets really started to take off that had like 90 lifters, including, uh, Laura Phelps's very first powerlifting meet. That's, that's crazy to me that her first meet was here. And she had just come off doing, I think, figure competitions. Yeah. And I remember talking to her coach at the time, her coach telling me, and that was at the time where it seemed like, I don't get this as much anymore, but people would call me on the phone about meets and like go through their whole life story of lifting. Wow. It's like, I would be like a 15 minute conversation with old dudes. Um, I remember a long conversation I had with a dude complaining about gear versus rod. And I was just like, yep. Uh huh. Yep. Uh huh. And he kept going on and on about all the gear. I'm like, I, just, do you want to send me a check for this meet or? <laughs> it's like Barbara Walters, man. He's bringing the best out of people. Right. Uh, Becca Swanson lifted in that, that summer batch too. Uh, Bill, wow. Car- Bill Carpenter lifted in that meet. Um, maybe after this podcast, I'll, I'll dig up those results and post them online. That would um, be cool to see. Uh, I still have that saved somewhere. And that was, uh, probably my first big event. And that's when I kind of realized, oh shit, like I really need to get my shit together and figure out how to run this more efficiently. And that's when we decided to look up how to do things with Excel, to do the scoring, not do it by hand. Believe it or not, there was no computerized scoring, even back in the early 2000s, at least here in Chicago. That's crazy. There was de- there was definitively not the program that we use now that yeah. uh, does everything. Yeah, I mean, you click the, click the weight, and it goes. We had a separate program called Barload, that projected the weight on the bar. So you had someone to do that, that would have mm-hmm. to punch in the weight. And then you had a different person to do the Excel program that ran the scoring. Mm-hmm. You had yet another person doing the score cards, which we still use. So it was... Gotta, gotta check all the maths. 
it was definitely a, a more involved uh, operation than what the program we have now. Sure. Um, but through those first two places I worked, um, you know, I, I student taught in the fall of 2005 and could no longer train at the Franz team, mm. unfortunately. And so in 06, um, myself and my wife and our first training partner that we used to bench with on Sundays um, started Team Stone. And Jason Visney was our first teammate. Back in those days, uh, Shara had stopped training with us. And the Franz team at that time did squat, bench, deadlift all together on Saturdays. Oh, wow. We decided that was a little bit much for us, so we squatted and deadlifted with the team. But then Visney, Jackie, and I would bench on Sundays at his high school. He was a, a teacher coach at that point at Lincoln Way East High School. And that was kind of the start of Team Stone. And then when I could no longer train at the Franz team, uh, once again took my parents' minivan, um, drove it down to St. Louis, and bought my first monolift and used that to kind of start Team Stone. Because, I mean, we had power racks and 0 to 90 benches, but it's like you're not going to draw anybody to come train with you unless you have some powerlifting-specific equipment, no matter how good people like training with you. So once I got a monolift, it was like, okay, um, I knew from running meets you almost need a team to run meets yep. so that you have some infrastructure of, you know, staff and, uh, you know, just people to pull a, pull on. Mm -hmm. And so I started Team Stone in 06 right there at Velocity. We had a, kind of had our own little corner. That evolved into having more of the facility when Velocity closed. Mm -hmm. uh, another story for another time. And Right Fit moved next door. Um, right Fit was a, and is, a, uh, kind of like a boutique personal training place. Mm -hmm. And they had rented a, a thousand square foot room at Velocity and moved next door to Velocity to about a 6,000 square foot space. And I helped build out the weight room there with my two monoliths at the time, competition benches. You know, she had a power rack and a couple other things, but we kind of, myself and my former coworker, Garrett Krug, kind of filled out the weight room. And Team Stone was a big part of kind of that we, I mean, we moved the whole gym, Team Stone, from Velocity mm -hmm. to Right Fit. Right. Continued to run meets there, and it was about uh, now five years ago, a little bit more, when Right Fit decided to take a right or a left turn. I'm not sure which turn it was, or maybe a U-turn. Left. Left turn. Oh, boy. <laughs> Someone's listening and got triggered. Yes, definitely. And they decided to almost do like a CrossFit kind of thing. And Ew. Probably one of the lowest days of my life. Yeah. Uh, Easter weekend, 2014, I believe. I'm going to work one day because we closed, which literally never happened. Mm -hmm. Never. We never closed. I've worked on the 4th of July, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, every holiday except for Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Basically, I'd worked. Okay. And we were closing for three days. And I wasn't really sure what was going on. I kind of heard some rumblings, but the first day, I... I'm driving there and just throw up. I'm legitimately have the stomach flu or a virus or something and can't make it in. The next day I come in, all my shit from my desk is just thrown in the hallway. That's the, the story blows my mind. Literally, all, like everything from my desk is in the hallway. All the Team Stone stuff that we had, like our specialty bars and other stuff. We didn't have the whole closet, but they had made the closet out so that it could fit our specialty bars mm -hmm. um, and be separated from you know, the regular clients that didn't need a 55 pound squat bar mm -hmm. and throw all that shit in the hallway. And then when I show up that day, they say, okay, we're taking all the equipment except for the two monoliths and two benches. 
So all the other stuff we had in there, and we're putting a new storage unit. So at that time, Howard Penrose, my current partner at 2XL, had bought a combo leg press hack squat, got an approval, got an approval from the owner. Um, we had a chest-ported row, 45-degree back raise, a glute ham, a, a, a bunch of different other things other than just the monolift and benches. And all that shit went in the storage unit. And wow. it, it was at that time that I decided my days here are numbered and I need to need to move the team and myself somewhere else. And that was kind of the the nexus of the start of 2XL powerlifting where we have just celebrated our five-year anniversary. And it yeah. was a Facebook conversation between myself and Howard Penrose where I said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about starting a powerlifting gym? Um, I knew he had some good business acumen and, you know, we've talked about Eric Marosher and Monster Garage Gym and that was the example I used. Hey, have you ever thought about opening maybe a, a Monster Garage Gym type gym, you know, down here in the, the western suburbs, southern suburbs? And that's kind of where it started. And here we are five years later. Um, 2XL powerlifting has expanded quite a bit. Um, we could probably talk on that maybe another podcast uh, a little bit more on on the, everything that's gone into that. Yeah, but, it's uh, I mean it's a tremendous facility, but it's uh, more important than 2XL is Team Stone has grown tremendously during that time too. And the meets have grown tremendously as well. And 2XL yeah. has allowed us to do a lot more from running meet perspective than just the big three we used to do, which we, you know, basically state meet summer bash raw power challenge. Yeah. And, and now with the expansion, you guys have been able to host AWPC worlds twice, three times. Um, so it, it depends if you, if okay, you, you say it, you've been the director for those meetings. Well, I, I ran AWPC. I've been the director of AWPC World once. We helped run it 10 years ago in okay. 09. Okay. I've helped run AAPF Nationals twice, once with Amy, once by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We ran APF Raw Nationals. Yep. Um, we're running the WPC Can-Am and helping with the WPO this year. Yep. And then we're going to be hosting the biggest meet I'll ever do next year, the WPC Worlds. Yep. Which could be anywhere from 600 to 1,000 lifters over... Somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five days. Yep, that's uh, and and that's exciting when you think about it. When you go back to well, forty-five person meet in, right in Waukegan. Uh, and, and what I didn't include was we ran the meet on a aerobic studio stage. It was a, a solid stage. It wasn't like a faux stage. Right. Um, going back to my bad financial deal, uh, the owner after he said he couldn't get the spotters, told me, and this is the first summer bash again. He told me, well, I can still get the chairs and this audio system. He had this little cheesy audio system that barely projected noise at all. And he had no chairs. He had like three chairs. And we were using like aerobic steps. And I think he ran out somewhere and got some more chairs because I yelled at him. And I'm right. like, what the F? You know, you're at least supposed to get me chairs. Right. Um, I can't remember where I, how I got, got off on that. Oh, that's how we started that's with start, yeah. aerobic steps and a little, literally we ran the meet in an aerobic studio. So imagine like where you do step aerobics or yep. whatever. That was the size of the room we ran the first summer bash versus wow. now we're running them in hotels and the Can-Am is going to be a big convention center. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. Now, all that said, and, and a lot of folks that, that will listen to this, they, they know you as Eric Stone, who is the 2XL, Director of Meets, and, and basically controls all our futures here in the sport, uh, as Supreme Overlord, not too shabby of a lifter yourself. Can you, can you walk through, you know, some of your best lifts or some of the ones you're most proud of, you know, however you want to put that together? 
Sure, yeah. So, you know, always been an equip lifter because, again, back when I started, that's all there was. And I always lifted. I shouldn't say always. I mostly have lifted APF because that's where I got my start with Ernie Franz. I have done a few other federations. Um, you know, here's a funny story. I did a NASA meet one time. And NASA, not like the, uh, the you know. Aeronautical and space. Right, not the spaceships into space to the moon, but the Natural Athlete Strength Association, hmm. who do run powerlifting meets. And I wouldn't say bad meets or anything like that, but uh, they have this separate division called Power Sports, where the first lift is the curl. And they take out the squat. <laughs> You're looking at, and of course, you can't see Bane, but he's looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. The, the first lift in the meet is curl. And literally, there's an easy curl bar and a tiny little stand. And Jackie came with me to that meet. It was this. Now, I've heard their meets are well run. This one was not. Um, Jackie ended up helping at the table because Maris, our coach, mm-hmm. was announcing, scoring, taking attempts, everything all in one. Jeepers. And Jackie felt bad for her. So she sat there unpaid, I might add, yeah. and helped her run the table. Um, I just did bench deadlifts, single ply. because mm-hmm. It was just, hey, I'll try something single ply. Because I had some single ply gear. I, I'd maybe done single ply once or twice before. But yeah, the first lift is curl. It's curl bench deadlift for power sports. CBC. And Jackie said, um, after oh, that. It's CBD. Perfect. Oh my God, CBD. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Jackie said, you're never doing another NASA meet again. <laughs> said, that was stupid. That's that's wonderful. Cur- I, I enjoy when the spouses tell us like, curls this are, is what you're doing. Curls are stupid. Yeah. was her comment. That's <laughs> not wrong. Um, so, yeah, my lifts, uh, I've always lifted gear. I guess that's where I got off on that tangent. Yeah. But best lifts in competition are a 727 squat uh, in a full meet, a 451 bench, mm-hmm. and a 551 deadlift, all equipped and all at 181. Um, nice. And just recently, the last couple of years, I've kind of been doing bench only, partly because the business is so busy, partly because of meets. Mm-hmm. Partly because I've been traveling with one of my clients to compete. Um, just recently benched 475 nice. uh, at AWPC Worlds, also at 181 and equipped. Um, broke an AWPC Submaster record. Um, not a biggest record in the world, but I had attempted that same exact weight three times. Yep. Last year's Nationals, this year's Nationals, and finally got it at this year's World. So it was beautiful lift. Fairly gratifying to finally grind that out. Um, after trying it three times. Yeah. Superior handoff from the Robert Bain. And so I'd say that's that's my my best lifts, and I don't know that I have any accolades beyond the lifts themselves, but uh, I, I, at one point I held a number of records, teenage, junior, in the APF, AAPF, mm-hmm. um, and just recently got that nice big pack, big envelope from the APF yep. that, that we like getting. Yes. Um, Finally got another record certificate, which I haven't gotten one in many years. It's, it becomes harder when you get in the open class. Yeah, I, I think I've, well, at 242, I've got a few open records still. Um, I think I've got the squat national open record, but the, the world ones, I, it's almost all submaster. Yeah, so it, it, it had been a while since I had an opportunity to break a record. I finally turned submaster a few years ago and <laughs> uh, had the opportunity to break a few more records again. I'm, I'm still going to go after that open, uh, open squat record. I think I, got, I, can, I can pull that off. Which is? I believe it is 727. Okay, that's it. That's, that's, in, that's within grasp. Yeah. Uh, so, that, so that's kind of our stories. Yeah. Uh, I kind of went through all that. And, uh, it's a lot, lot to digest there. Um, now, 
we're going to be talking about a lot more depth, I think, the next time, and that is raw versus geared. Raw versus yeah. equipped, I should say. Yeah, well, yeah, we don't want to get geared and geared yeah. mixed up. Oh. That's probably a, a topic for another podcast. Oh, that one will be, yes. And you know what? I think what I want to talk about in this next podcast is kind of, uh, I've had this article in my head for a while. Maybe it's just easier for it to do it in a podcast form is the, the rise of raw. Yep. And I've got some statistics I've worked through and I've got, I keep all the, all the records of all my past meets. Mm-hmm. And at least from the APF perspective, I can't speak to every federation, um, but I can kind of show where, you know. 2000s powerlifting was very very big up through about 0506 and geared powerlifting was really really big. Mm-hmm. Um, the WPO was at that time at the Arnold Classic. Yep. Um, we had APF Senior Nationals, which for context at that time was only equipped, only multiply, and only open, and we'd have 200 lifters. That's crazy. You know there was weight classes that were 30 deep, and this is equipped multiply APF. And that's why meets took 17 hours. Oh, God. And we had no computer scoring back then either. Yep. I remember a meet, another sidebar here, gosh, 03 AAPF Nationals in uh, Las Vegas. My one my one and only time to Las Vegas. Uh, they, for some reason, thought they could run two sessions. And I think each session had like three flights in them. And again, this was all equipped Jeez. and no computerized scoring. And they didn't have any judges. They literally just thought, oh, there'll be enough people there. Like what? <laughs> so if you cheer loud enough for get the lift, is that what they were thinking? I, so I got pulled up there to judge, and I was literally in like shorts and a hoodie until like, and this is not a joke, until past midnight judging the masters lifters. Um, there was somebody here who did that meet. I can't remember who it was, but I was talking to him, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, we got to the deadlifts, and they're like, I just did my opener and passed on the rest because we were they were so tired. They'd been there since eight a.m. They didn't start their session until." Four, five, six. Jeez. This is past midnight, and I am judging the day before I'm going to lift. I actually didn't have a good meet, yeah. but I was young at that point, so you know, a lot, a lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's until midnight. Um, this was all equipped. And I, I just, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. That is insane. Yeah, I was judging at midnight. I just got pulled in, and Ernie was like, "Hey, can you judge?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm not a world judge." He's yeah. like, "Well, you know, we only need two world judges on the platform." Hmm. The meat directors had opted to just, yeah, just ask whoever was there to judge. <laughs> That's, yeah, we, we need more more on that story, but uh, for a different podcast. Because that, that's, that's insane. So, yeah, I, I think I'd like to kind of delve into, you know, you and I can at least give our, you know, best guess on why we think Raw has grown so much in the last, and I think it's been about 10 years mm-hmm. that it's really grown and powerlifting in general has grown, yeah. but raw has really seen a huge, you know, in the last 10 years, you know, we kind of had a lull period. I remember a summer bash in, uh, I'll, I'll look up these numbers for next week, in the mid 2000s, 06, 07, 08, probably more like 07, 08. I actually moved the day, moved the meet to two days because it had become kind of big at that point. And then that was the year it dipped and we only had 40 lifters or 50 oh, wow. lifters again. And it was kind of a waste of a two-day meet. Yeah. And then Jackie was like, "All right, we're never doing the summer bash two days again." And then a few years later, about that. And then a few years later, it was like, "Oh shit, we have like a hundred lifters again." That might have been around the time when we said, "Okay, now we need to do a two-platform event." Yeah. And then it became a two-platform two-day event. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's crazy. And I've got all those numbers, and at least it'll be a microcosm of, "Hey, here's at least one meet that's been run at about the same time every year in yep. the same area." 
started off about 45 lifters, 50 lifters, all geared, mm-hmm. you know, went through his progression of geared. And then eventually when I added raw and when raw got big, you saw those numbers climb and then climb beyond anything that ever had been yeah. equipped. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll talk about the, the rise of raw because it's, it's important. And I, and I think it's one of those things that it, it does make sense, but I do feel that, and you can speak this a little more, there's something about gear on the horizon. And I think that's, or equipment, I'm sorry. There's something it's about coming it. back. It is. I, I, I agree because you, again, I'll get into this next time, but there's, there's a lot of context around that. And so I'm. There's a reason that gear started in the first place. Yeah. That's the short, that's the long and short of it. Yep. There's a reason gear started in the first place. Things are coming full circle. I'm, I'm very bullish on gear. <laughs> if we could buy a Zinzer or Titan. None of those are probably true. Uh, I think Rogue is though. Well, yeah. yeah. Now, now, if Rogue starts selling like uh, multi-ply mm-hmm. uh, squat suits or even single-ply shit, if they start selling like single-ply squat suits and benchers, all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, every freaking bro at a CrossFit gym is going to be trying to bench in a bench shirt. Don't steal my thunder for next week. <laughs> it's part of part of what I'll be talking about is how I mean, it, that that's the basis for it. Is it's the rise of CrossFit? Yeah, no, that's that is definitely part of the rise. But I think we'll stop it there so that we don't go too far beyond an hour. We're a little over an hour now. Cool. Um, anything else to add, Bane, on our first episode? Um, I think I think we're good, man. Like I said we, we've heard our stories. We've heard a little bit about us. And oh, you forgot to mention uh, the, your kid situation is a little different than mine. Since I went through my whole thing. Oh sure, I've got two kids. Uh, Jacob is seven. Alice is three. Um, married to Jackie Stone for thirteen years now. God, if that's wrong, I'll. I have to go back and do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure that's right. I, I can tell you this. I know that my I've, it's 14 because next year, 15 year anniversary. Uh, yeah. That was the reason why we have to go to Ireland. Exactly. So. Yeah, that's my kid's situation. Um, maybe we could have another episode where we talk a little bit more on uh, just kids maybe. And we could definitely do an episode on uh, my experience working with individuals with autism and your yeah. experience having a child on the spectrum. Yep. Might be a totally different perspective. Not totally related to powerlifting, but I don't think would be a bad discussion to have. No, I think it's important. I think it's a good thing, and it, it brings that uh, th- these wonderful humans to to like. Because I think they they man they they give so much to to life. That's all I can say. So yeah, agreed. I think that'll uh, that'll do it for the first episode of Strength and Anger. This is Eric Stone signing out. This is Robert Bain. Strength and Anger.